unhappiest in the saddle. <laughs> a fellow sportsman. I am an FBI agent. Great Scott. What do you say we cut the chit-chat a-hole? Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Come with me if you want to live. Hello, and welcome to Retro Ramble. I'm Charlie McGee. I'm George McGee. And this time, dear listeners, we are traveling back to 1987 to review a cult classic and once best ever favorite toy of Charlie's, He-Man. Sorry, it's not called He-Man. What's the what's the adult title, George? Masters of the Universe. Um. So, yeah, we're going to be putting on our mullets, uh, getting sweaty, um, raiding the costume department of whatever film was going at the time. In a Playing on a synthesizer. On a synthesizer. Um, borrowing from a lot of other more successful films of the same time and actors <laughs> and and even title sequences, it might seem. So, um, yes, this is a Retro Ramble episode. George and I are brothers. Uh, George, what, if this is your first time picking up our podcast, what should people expect and put up with in, in one of our episodes? Well, as, as you said, we, we are indeed brothers. And this uh, podcast, we're an independent little podcast. Uh, we're, we're all about going back and revisiting the films that Charlie and I grew up with. And it's checking whether these films, do they still hold up? You know, how they were made? Are there any interesting production stories? Uh, have they been remade, rebooted, spun off into a Netflix series? as this has so yeah Re, and re- reimagined one re- might say yeah and it's, it's just looking back at these films giving them a, a light-hearted look back I think that's important thing to say this isn't an in-depth critical appraisal whilst we will give you some nuggets of trivia and our opinions on the film if yeah you're looking for a high-class film critical appraisal this isn't the podcast for you yeah if you're uh, writing if you're writing a dissertation about Masters of the Universe we're not going to give you very good factoids sorry Though we do have questions. <laughs> <laughs> many, so many questions. So yeah, that's it. It's basically a bit like re- reuniting with an old friend. So there'll be some jokes and probably some bad impressions and lots of spoilers along the way. So if you haven't seen Masters of the Universe, go and check it out. Uh, or if you haven't watched it in a while, go and check it out. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we are traveling back to 1987. Um, out of pure interest, what other sort of films did we have at this sort of time? I mean, we're a few years after Back to the Future. I guess Star Wars was done and dusted and old news. I'm just trying to think what other things. Top Gun, Top Gun would have been out, one of the Top, episodes done Top recently. Gun, yeah, Top Gun was 86. Uh, I'm trying to think what else you had in 87. Uh, I think Robocop, was Robocop 87? I think and it was. Robocop, yeah. Predator, Lost Boys. So it, yeah. it, was a, it was a good year for film. Yeah, and, and there was Masters of the Universe <laughs> and Big Man Four: The Quest for Peace, both Canon productions. But that's really a, that's a Superman Four. Canon made made another film, and Canon made Superman. I, I I didn't. I would never put the two together. And that's another retro ramble episode for another day. Yeah. Oh my god, that's that'll be interesting when we cover that. Probably going to need to do uh, the first three, three Superman. <laughs> maybe, maybe maybe three and four together. No, I, I think it's a good idea. Lot. 
there's a lot of, well there is a lot of, there's a lot more in three to unpack than there is about uh, in superman 4 okay so without further ado here it is it is masters of the universe uh 987 who's it directed by george who gave us this nugget gary goddard thank you gary and enjoy the show let's let's hit the trailer hit the trailer At the far end of the universe, there is a planet ruled by a being of utter evil. And there is only one man who dares challenge him. They are locked in a battle to the death. A battle that will take them across the heavens. A battle that will finally be fought. I was the out and brought to me! Across the face. Of Earth. I think I'm gonna need some backup. Can you show us the way? Of course. No. Somebody help me! Help! Julie! From a distant galaxy, they have come to Earth. Dolph Lundgren as He-Man. Frank Langella as Skeletor. Only they have the powers to be. Masters of the Universe. Live the adventure. Live the adventure. There you go. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm still going on about Superman. Uh, so if that's all worked out, ladies and gentlemen, you've just heard the trailer for Masters of the Universe. So George, was was it a was this just a hey let's go and make a movie? How did this film get made? How do we get this nugget? Why why are we why are we talking about this? Well, what we'll do is so shall I do production first, and then we'll do for, first memories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. I think so, yeah. To set the scene, we need to talk about. We go way back to to 1982, back in my pram. Um, <laughs> basically, about the creation of the He-Man toy line itself. So it was released by Mattel in 1982. Mattel are the makers, also uh, famous for makers of Barbie. <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to do Decepticon. No, that's that, that's Hasbro. I think. Oh, good <laughs> marketing by them, then. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Have you? Yeah, fine. So yes, Mattel was was, was they, Mask. Was Mask the Transformers ripoff? Was that Mattel Mask? Possibly, possibly. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, you, you, you're catching me out here with my 80s toy line, but I did like Mask. They yeah. should bring it back. So yes, Mattel are the makers of Barbie, and back then they were struggling with their toy lines for boys, because obviously Barbie's never really struggled. And uh, Mattel also famously passed on Star Wars, um, because they said at the time, oh, you know, movies come and go, it's all about TV shows, so we're going to pass. So... Kenner picked up Star Wars. That's obviously, you know, uh, everyone knows the, about Star Wars toys and it was, you know, revolutionized movie merchandising. And Hasbro had uh, G.I. Joe. So they did, uh, Mattel, what they did is did loads of group testing. They did basically like 
got loads of kids in a room and like, you play with this. Why do you like playing with this? And lots of market research. And they eventually settled on this barbarian theme um, that was partly inspired by Conan comics. And it was, yeah, pretty much a sort of like, well, how do we do something that competes with Star Wars that isn't Star Wars? But it's a... It's a it's Conan the Barbarian, but in space. So I'm, I'm in, I'm in. Um, but the key point there of difference, uh, their their other USP was they. If you remember, the figures themselves were actually much bigger than GI Joe or um, the Star Wars figures. They were like, I think, four inches like tall, and they were big and beefy, and that was their sort of point of difference as well. Um, but to help sell it in to retailers, they came up with mini comics, so a bit of a, a backlog story for each figure. Um, but then when they were pitching it to somebody else, they were like, wait a minute, five-year-olds can't read. And they were like, um, <laughs> um, um, and that's that's why we're going to do an animated show. And they were like, okay. So they they partnered up with Filmation Animation, who have like yeah done loads of stuff over the years. Um, and that's and sorry, I just have to say, and that's also why so much of He Man looks like a comic. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so yeah, they they partnered up with Filmation for a fifty fifty deal, um, which premiered on November nineteen eighty three, and. Uh, it was the first time a toy line had a cartoon opposed to the other way around. And if you think about it, that was quite revolutionary. If you think we take it for granted now with, you know, with Transformers, with G.I. Joe, He-Man was the first to do it. And, did, uh, and they did it did it well. I mean, we've gone full reversal now. It's gone from being a a show with a toy line to the, the wonderful, absolutely amazing, wonderful culture that comes from Asia that is Pokemon and Dragon Ball Z, where the toys are the story. And the, yeah. and the plot of the story is you've got to have all the toys. I mean, it's just like dumb, dumb marketing, but but it, hey, we're dealing with six-year-olds. So yeah, sorry, go on. Obviously, it was the first time it had been done. And do you remember, you and I joke about this because obviously there's been some great internet mashups that we've we've probably shared on our socials over the years but um with the gi joe and the but i think the, the master of the universe obviously i think because it was a toy line animation they were quite conscious of the criticism saying well it's just an extended advert for your toy lines like okay well how do we appease the parent groups and it was having a, a moral message at the end of each episode message of the show i remember yeah. and did didn't uh because we this i mean i think we're gonna have to talk about in a few minutes our first memories because you know he man means a, meant a lot to me and i was i was showing when george was telling me how big the figures are, i was holding i was trying to be helpful and hold oh. up my hand not realizing that my hand at the time holding <laughs> would have and, been slightly differently proportioned and the figure that you were holding was imaginary so <laughs> i had no idea what size you were referring to why do you explain just to whip out my he-man toys for you no they're locked in a box <laughs> no sir i didn't see you playing with your dolls again but the the interesting thing was that filmation added a lot to the he-man law so the comics had him as a bit of a barbarian space warrior but filmation added in so much that influence it so the um they added in the comedy you know <laughs> everyone laugh at cringer yeah or cringer yeah um they added in the whole prince adam alter ego so that didn't exist in the original lineup and yeah word for, word for superman sorry and characters like orco were introduced so there was this weird relationship that mattel had with filmation that 
a filmation were wanting to make their own show. And at the same time, like Mattel were like, oh yeah, but w- can we push this new character? And they were like, well, no, you know, it's, we're, we're telling a story here, but, and they were like, oh, but that's, that's a cool character. We're going to turn that into a toy. And so it was, yeah, they said it was quite a tense partnership, but obviously it was, I say the first time it was done, it would go on to inspire lots of other toy, <laughs> toy lineup cartoons. So Mattel made uh, 38 million on He-Man in their first year. Wow. And by 1986, they were making 400 million. So it was hot shit. And obviously they were expanding the line, bringing out all these weird and wonderful characters. But I think uh, talks for a live action feature began around 1985. So that's when uh, producer Ed Pressman started shopping the idea around Hollywood. But Mattel, as part of their deal, they had director and lead actor approval. Uh, as well as key caveats on the script, which I'll get onto later. So uh, Ed Pressman took it to Warner Brothers, who offered $15 million. But then he got a better offer from Canon Films, who offered $17.5 million. We know um, that their accounting's up to scratch. They're, they're just printing money. So, yeah, I mean, Canon, um, yeah, we, we've kind of talked about Canon were sort of low budget sort of exploitation type movies that seem to make a lot of money out of the video market, you know, with Chuck Norris movies like Delta Force and, and things like that and, and cheap horror movies. But they were, I think early mid eighties, they were making some decent money. So they were, well, obviously they were throwing their weight around and they had a lot of, they were very good at like shouting about the projects they were working on. So yeah, uh, Mattel went with them. So they, as I say, Mattel had uh, director approval and director Gary Goddard, uh, bless him, had never directed a film before. However, um, he... That had... doesn't show. Doesn't show. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's a pretty well, like a lot of people give this film shit, but for a first time feature, it's, it's, it's pretty impressive. Goddard did have some interesting credentials. So he had worked his way through uh, working for Disney as part of their Imagineering team. So they are all the guys that develop all the theme park rides. And then he would go on to uh, produce, write and direct the live action Conan the Barbarian show at Universal Studios. So there's that Conan again. He keeps popping. Ah, so that's how he knows what a muscly, sweaty man looks like and swings a sword. Okay, exactly. And, And entertaining all those families. But the other interesting thing, so as well as just that, he had his own little production company that extended to like making things like board games. And he had actually done on the side, he had been like a creative consultant for Mattel in the early 80s anyway. So when he, when he heard that they were shopping around this script and he, he spoke to the producer, he's like, oh, you know, I'd, I'd really like to put my hat in the ring, come see my Conan show. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you've got a good show, but it's, it's going to be down to the guys in Mattel. And you know, um, I, I, I'm be willing to give you a chance as a first time director, but I don't know what they'll think. And he's like, um, well, I, I've kind of got a few friends at, at Mattel. And Mattel even said, well, when Gary came to us, it was great because it was someone we knew, it was someone we trusted, and we knew that he wouldn't take the piss with the property. So even though he's first time director, I say he had a relationship with Mattel. So that worked out quite well for him. Um, so they already had a finished screenplay and even i think even before canon came uh, involved the script was 
they kept the budget relatively small and because of that the they kept the script idea was to have it all set on earth however it was uh gary goddard fought for it to say well you've got to bookend the film you've got to make it feel epic at least start it and end it on a turn year and you know, you could use the same set for the first 20 minutes and the first 40 minutes and people won't feel like it's a budget contrivance. You won't feel like you're being cheap. And then he came up with, he added all the stuff about the, the basically the masters of the universe stuff, the rising of the moon and the planets aligning and, and all that stuff. Um, and he's like, I can just use that in the throne room. And so it was quite, quite a smart move for him because for me, I would say they're, they're the, some of the strongest parts of the film. Yeah, yeah, no, but I mean, I think it's like you get that the story is hap- the story for that's making it a movie, like the movie magic to me is the stuff that's going on in um, in our world, in the human yeah. world. And the stuff that's, you know, honoring the fans and linking it all back and showing the source material is the stuff that's going on in Eternia. And yeah, it is better. You know, it's, mm. it's better because I think they've got more range. Yeah, as I say, uh, Mattel had a few caveats on the script. They were no killing. Human cannot kill anyone. So that's why all the um, stormtroopers. I uh, know uh, not stormtroopers. They're not stormtroopers. Uh, uh, the black guards that work for Skeletor are all. They're not GI Joe, by the way. They're not. They're, G- they're not Cobra Command either. No, no. Um, they are robots. Um, ah, right. So that's why he can just. That's why the sparks are coming out. This, this is. And uh, speaking of Cartoon Network, Samurai Jack would go on to do the same. I can't have a samurai chop enough heads. What about robots? Yeah, robots. of course you can chop ch- chop off robot heads. Yeah, yeah it's, it's fine. Dolph Lundgren was already on board before uh, Gary Goddard came on board, um, but Gary Goddard had concerns about Dolph's very thick Swedish accent. Why? Why? Why would you worry about his delivery, his ability to say certain words? Like, um, one more time. Uh, so just for this episode, uh, George and I are going to have to have a quick sidebar here. Drinking word for this episode. Now, is it A or B? So A, sorceress, or B, because <laughs> like, which one, which one of those words? And our listeners can tell us. Like, if you just go for both, you'd be shit faced. So, pick one of those words. If you this, you, this is two player. And if one of them can pick the other word, sorceress, or, or Guido, and or, you'll have a lot of fun. Or C, which is uh, something that Charlie and I still say to each other when we haven't seen each other. Good journey, good journey. Gonna see in the gonna see just just don't 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 say goodbye. Don't, don't say goodbye. goodbye. It's, it's we, we've journey. been using that. We've been using that for freaking thirty odd years. So, um, so still use it. Still use it. So yes, I mean uh, we we touched on this uh, in our Rocky Four episode. Obviously, that was Dolph's breakout moment. And I think you know how many lines does he have in that? Maybe four or five lines. Definitely more than this film. Yeah. <laughs> I would say uh, no, no. I'm, I'm not being fair, but uh, there's not a lot of talking by him. Uh, Franklin Jella's given free reign. Um, I think we'll we'll, even... we'll we'll get to Frank. We'll but, get to uh, Frank. We'll get to Frank. But yes, um, so. Yeah, he didn't have much uh, he had to say in in Rocky Four, but yeah, this was a lead role, and I think he had an accent coach and stuff like that. But he also Lundgren had written into his script that he would have uh, three opportunities to redub his lines in in ADR, and Gary Goddard was pushing for 
I want him redubbed. I want, and he even tested people. He's like, I want to, I want to test people to dub for Dolph. And I think when it came down to it, there wasn't enough money to pay for the dubbing. And he was just like, oh yeah, it's, it's, and it's, he's kind of got it at the third time. That's good enough. Um, on the, on that, um, the, you've got to give the sound mixing some crew because it is evident that every single thing that Dolph says, um, is is ADR, which is ironic because they could have just and they maybe did reuse a lot of Rocky Four. Uh, you know, those lines that he he says in Rocky Four that work so well in this film, which are, oh, oh, <laughs> oh, Dolph noises, which I'm gonna call from now on Dolph noises. Um not, not, not dolphin noises. No, just to, oh, this, there's yeah. a lot of grunting from him. But oh, I, he's, I just he's, wonder. Well, he, I he wonder, spent a lot of time with Stallone, didn't he? So. But, uh, yeah, there's that. And this obviously rubbed off on him. But I wonder, was he saying so? What, was, was he? Oh, wow, that sounds weird. Sweaty, sweaty, rubbing off. Um, it's, it's almost as if maybe the directive might have dropped in some grunts when Dolph was saying something else, you know, maybe, <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. Um, so yeah, let's, let's get to, uh, Skeletor. Well, we need- Skeletor. You, you blithering you- boob. <laughs> um, is there, um, are we, are we finished with production checks? I think we need to cover our first memories at some point. Um, yeah, let's, let's take a sidebar. I mean, I'm, I'm moving on to casting now. Yes. We had talked about Dolph, but we'll get back to Skeletor, but, Let's let's talk about first memories. So for me, this is a very important film because I am fairly sure I'm going to have to check out the timeline. Uh, I'm going to have to go back, but I'm fairly sure this is the first film I saw at the cinema. I saw it at Jesmond Picture House, which sadly no longer stands. It is now my local Sainsbury's. So uh, technically you could watch this in there on your phone or tablet. With free Wi-Fi. Machine, a time machine. <laughs> <laughs> He's back again watching that film in the corner. <laughs> Said something about revisiting his childhood. So yeah, I, I I think this was yeah a family outing. Yeah, we went to to Jasmine Picture House, and I absolutely loving it. And <laughs> I, I don't know if Mum was there, but Dad going, well, yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I, I I don't know what were your what were your thoughts on. Can you remember how how you? Because it was weird because obviously I remember playing with He Man, but. I was, yeah, I was four when this came out. So I was really on the tail end of the, the He-Man craze. Whereas you would have been, I was probably playing with your your toys, wasn't I? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I was uh, left, right and centre. I mean, just, just so you can date this, this would have been the old... The old TV room where there is now a fireplace before it had a fireplace. Uh, I can remember playing in that room. Um, Yeah, this was a long time ago and I had a He-Man, like you'd hit him and his chest would rotate and then he'd have scars. And obviously there was was a Skeletor and there was many different versions of He-Man. I can't remember having a lot of baddies, but... You had Battle Cat, didn't you? Of course, of course. Yeah, Yeah, but he was like not as convincingly cringer without the Battle Cat armor on because he was in war mode or battle mode. Um, But yeah, no, that was like kind of my first foray into any sort of uh, storylined character because there was, before that for me, it was just all Lego. You know, it was Lego, Lego and E.T. Uh, That's what I was into. And and this is how I I keep reminding people, this is back when Lego didn't have any licenses. They just had had their own stuff. 
up. Spaceships, spaceships. spaceships. <laughs> I was just making spaceships and trains out of everything. Uh, no, they didn't have enough wheels to make even one car. Um, <laughs> so it was just trains and spaceships. But no, so this this was big because the cartoon was on. I was watching the cartoon. I had the toys. So as you say, this was uh, this for where it first worked. You know where they had the, the animation running in tandem with the the merchandise. Mm. And yeah, I was hook, line, and sinker, or mum and dad were <laughs> in terms yeah. of. Um, cause I think I had about three or four of these toys and they were probably going, you know, uh, they, judging by the amount of money they, they, uh, they made off them. Uh, they were very successful, but no, about this film, that's why I was asking, I was interested to know what your first memories would be because I kind of remember us like not thinking this was a bad or, or not. Like we've watched this film a few times, I think over the years, I think we, we like the sort of magical it's set in California on earth with Courtney Cox, who was obviously gorgeous, and uh, I know that you had a thing about Strickland. Um, I don't, sorry, I can't remember what is what is uh, what is real. I had, I had I had a thing about or for Strickland. What are you on? What are you trying to suggest? I was making a joke, no, but I'm just saying this. Uh, we'll get on. We'll get back. We're, sorry, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to get back to casting, and we are going to talk about the actor who plays Strickland in Top Gun because this this would appear to be his biggest movie. You mean um, authority figures? <laughs> yeah, I think over the years we haven't thought this was a bad film. And uh, I mean, we will get into the film and we'll probably give our final thoughts, but it's by no means terrible. And you've got to remember it's a kid's film, you know, so do, I think, do you know, it- do you know why I think you and I are probably more affectionate on this? I mean, me, I, I say I rose tinted glasses. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, Obviously, I've got emotional ties to it being one of the first films I saw. You're very young. Very young and impressionable. I am the very impressionable type. But I think it's because you and I have frequently gone back to it that it hasn't been like that. Oh, my God, I haven't seen this film in ages. And oh, my God, it's dated so badly. I think because you and I have, have, have regularly watched it every few years. And I mean, to be fair, I don't think... Neither of us have owned it on DVD, so we haven't watched it in in a, in a while. But it's one of those films that is like muscle memory that we always talk about. That I know like a lot of the lines to, and and all the beats and and uh, things like that. But we always knew it was a bit shit. But it was sort of like I think we quickly sort of, but we weren't afraid. It was a guilty pleasure, and I know some people don't like that term, but yes, we know it's a bit shit, but it's an enjoyable watch. I think I think the way to look at it is that I this this was a film for kids, an adaptation of a kid's toy that I, I was a massive fan of the toy. I like so much so. And I think you were, too. And the cartoon was still going, even after the film had yeah. been gone. You know, that's the thing you've got to understand is that the film came out and we were still the, the cartoon would have still been popping up and it still would have, oh, been, it would have been on yeah syndication for a while. And Skeletor was such a good bad guy. He was just so angry. <laughs> so, so yeah, just... So I, th- I think the whole the whole He-Man concept was... Yeah, as you say, we've we've kind of ingrained it because we've gone back, we've seen nothing new. Like, I, scene for scene, I, when, I knew what was coming. I was like, where, when are the hoverboards coming out? But we'll, we'll we'll get into this. Let's let's go back to casting because I think we've covered off the first memories. But I don't remember us hating this film, but I think you've explained why. Yeah. Um, because we were the key audience. Yeah, and also, no, but 
big actors who've gone on to big things. Uh, I mean, it doesn't have a killer soundtrack. It's got killer um, opening credits. I don't know where I've seen them. Before. Whoa, 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 um, whoa, whoa. You say uh, it hasn't they- got a killer. It, it has got, a, I think it's got a great soundtrack. The no, It's uh, got a great soundtrack, but it doesn't have like, um, you know, like um, it doesn't have Kenny Loggins or. Um, it, but do you know what it does have, which I, I only noticed this time around? I'm living in a box. I did. Living I did. Is that when, the, when, the, when they're in the car and he's when, trying to make and trying, trying to make out? It's like it's living. Um, are you going to tell them or should I? Uh, no, why don't you tell them? Is this another? Is this another memory? Um, not really related to this, mass, this, the universe in any way. Your but gym routine. I once was had, was forced to do a gym routine with forward rolls and triangles and stuff. And my track was living in a box. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen, let's just but move on. Wait, there's <laughs> more because, because it was a school thing and every year I had to do a gym routine. And I also had to do a gym routine the same day. And being the eighties, it was, well, Charlie and I will just share the same tape. And I, got, I can't remember, it was probably a now or something. So I, what was on the other side of the tape around the same time was Johnny Hates Jazz, Shattered Dreams. So I did my gym routine to Shattered Dreams. And I will never not listen to that song and shudder because of that. So, yeah, well, Charlie, I think I, I think I blocked mine out because I, I was just like, yeah, this is ridiculous. I think be, I was enjoying the music too much. You know, it's just like living in a box. Who is that? Who is that song by Charlie? Um, I, I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you. No, no it's, it's, it's on the tip of my tongue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So anyway, we're we're getting sidetracked. Let should we should we get back on the train to to Casting Island? Yeah. So let's go to Casting. So we've covered. So um, <laughs> so one, one, one more time, Dolph. One more time. So um. Yeah. You. It's like you must have been really tired. A, a lot of ADR. Who else have we got in this? We've got. Um, so let's let's talk about <coughs> let, must, let, mustache and arms. Char- Charlie, can I be frank? <laughs> yes, you can be frank. Can I be frank, Langella? Gary Goddard realized he had the issue with 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 Dolph's line. He's like, okay, with a speech. Speech issues. He's probably not the guy to center around this film, so he centered the film around Skeletor, and that's why he gets the sort of monologues and things like that. Cannon didn't like the idea of Franklin Geller playing Skeletor because I think he was seen as like you know a classically he's a theater actor and too thespian, yeah. Too, yeah um, and they they thought that a bodybuilder should should play Skeletor because obviously in the Skeletor figure it's basically He Man's body but just with different it's the same mold, head, isn't it? Same, same mold. mold. Gary Goddard wanted somebody who could be believably act behind the prosthetics and a mask. I've got a note here. Stop being sexy, Skeletor. So Frank, <laughs> Frank Langella wanted Skeletor to be, look more like he did in the cartoon. So like less, like more, more like chest on display. More G, more G strings. And, yeah. and was, was actively working Leotards. out. Leotards. Was, was actively working out for it. And Gary Goddard objective was like, no, I don't want Skeletor to be sexy. He needs to be like a, a serious threat. So that's why he's got the cloak and the robes. And it looks stuff. like looks like death out of Wayne's World. Uh, sorry, yeah. not Wayne's World. Bill, Bill and Ted's. Yeah, yeah, but pretty much. Good um, prosthetics, though. Good prosthetics on him. I mean, well, poor I, guy probably struggled give, getting out of his monologues. Yeah, I mean, uh, we we haven't got into sort of the the film overview, but 
I mean, Frank Langella, uh, I'll just sort of need to caveat up front. So um, so Frank Langella is currently uh, being accused of some some sexual, uh, some misconduct abuse. There's some allegations against him. Uh, he was fired off a Netflix program, but that's that's still ongoing. But I want to sort of just sort of put that out there. But I just want to say in this, he is fantastic. He is <laughs> he is the USP. He's like, he, you can see why Gary Goddard fought for him because he's devouring that dialogue. And it's a bit like we were saying in Gladiator. It's just a really good actor mate, turning an average script into something really sort of weighty prose. And apparently he wrote, there's a lot of lines that Franklin Geller chucked in himself in there. Well, you you use the word monologue, but it just feels like it's like it's my moment, and and it like and it like it encapsulates everything. And I think, um, yeah, I think we'll get on to this towards the end. I think um, our friend Kevin Smith has a lot to thank for those because you have what was in the cartoon and this, and then you add Mark Hamill into the mix, and wow, you've got lightning in a bottle. But I mean, it's it's a great like this whole power. It's like you really understand that they've been fighting against each other like forever, and that that's in in all of his hate. And it's like all I want to do is rule attorney. I'm not asking for much. Um, but yeah, so it's you've got you've got to give them credit where it's due. So do you want to finish off casting, and then we'll quickly talk about what what, what it was like to watch again? Yeah. So, um, well, I mean, I think the the thing that we need to sort of uh, cover is that, as as well as sort of Gary Goddard's tweaking things for for the script, he also came up. And I think one of the the gripes about this film is that it drops outside the heroes, it drops a lot of the villains. So um, whilst you do have Beast Man, or I think he's just called Beast in this. Um, he's 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 awful. My favorite, my favorites for being uh, so bad. No, um, you've got Karg, who's got the yeah. amazing white, massive Afro mullet type thing. He was interrupted from going to a de- you know heavy metal concert in the eighties. He, he was not happy. He's he's awesome. Uh, Saurod, uh, who's the lizard guy, and Blade. Who <laughs> not that blade? Not that blade. <laughs> but he has uh, got swords. <laughs> now, now the guy who played Blade. This is getting your money's worth. So he was played by Anthony DeLongis, and he was also the stunt coordinator for the film, and he also doubled as Skeletor in all the fight scenes as well. I was going to ask who doubled in the fight scenes because I said that can't be Frank Langella uh, <laughs> fighting He Man. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, I mean, he he had some nice things to say about Dolph, because apparently, again, due to budget constraints, Dolph did pretty much all his own stunts because they couldn't have find a, a stuntman that had his physique because obviously he's is he six, four or something. She's a mountain yeah. and he's got the at the time he had the, the, the it literally the, the 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 pyramid upside down shape. Uh, yeah. Was the way you describe his 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 body. So yeah, you you'd know if it wasn't him. Wh- whichever delicious stuntman mullet combo you went for, there's only one Dolph mullet combo going in that room. So and he does a great job in terms of physicality. <laughs> you can see there's there's a moment or the hoverboards moment where he's whizzing down the street and he looks like he's shitting himself. Yeah, I'm <laughs> gonna like, fall, gonna fall, it's like, it's like, like, gonna fall, I've, gonna fall. I've made a huge mistake <laughs> by uh, my agent. <laughs> So yeah, that's that's the main sort of uh, bulk. I mean, I, I think we also have to, uh, you know, we sh- shout out about how brilliant Skeletor is, but also uh, Evil Lynn as well. I think it's at Meg Foster. She is again. I've I've got my notes. Evil Lynn and Skeletor are in another movie. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say that, that that she's definitely in another film. Like she keeps on turning up and like. 
who are these these imbeciles and these idiots? And it's almost like at the just to jump at that bit at the end when Skull is like, do you not realize I'm about to like totally take over here and you're fussing about, you know, it's it's I don't know. They do seem to be on a different level. So, George, um, going back and watching it, what 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 was it like for you? Because as we said early on, um, we've we've watched this film a few times over the years. I would say so much more. There weren't a lot of surprise surprises, if, if if I'm completely honest, and I'm okay with it. I'm going to just throw this in the ring now. So we're on the same page. I had no problem going back and watching this film, and it hasn't changed my opinion of this film at all. And I didn't know why until you said to me, "We have watched this a few times over the years. We have stuck this on," you know. Well, it's a funny one. In, in our last episode in Gladiator, we talked about the whole sort of uh, DVD thing and and how it was one of those first DVDs that we just nailed repeatedly. And I think what happened with with uh, this film is that we hammered it on video because I say I don't think either of us would have rushed out to buy it on DVD. So it's a good you know, 15, 20 years, unless it's been on TV and we've seen it. But I think it's so ingrained in our sort of consciousness, our memory, that as I say, that's that's why we know it so well. Um, and there is that, that nostalgia of why we're both happy to sort of revisit it. Um, but yes, it's, I think you, you and I, you, you texted me cause you watched this a few, few days after me, but I've got the same thing. The opening credits is like, okay, somebody's ripping off Superman. Same house though. You know, it's, it's not, it's not ripping off when you look no, no. at it that well, way, when it's well, like, okay, so change the colors, uh, slightly change the music and we're good to go. We can't use the Superman opening credits. People will know. They'll never know. Rainbow out the colors, put him as the universe. It'll be fine. And, and, and yeah, arguably, I suppose they did own the rights to Superman then. So yes, that's, that's, that's kind of, they're, they're probably their legal It's jarring. Argument. It's jarring when you see the credits arrive in the same way. And, and especially like the music, the soundtrack is awesome in this. I think it's Bill Conti. Obviously he's quite a, you know, famous composer, but it's really, you know, it's that operatic, it's bombastic and it sort of levels up the and it, it papers over some of the cracks of it being a low budget film yeah and I, and i think you know you've got to keep going back to this like um and I, I guess my opinion of this film has differed over the years but if you separate the disappointment from the fans of the franchise the fans of the toys this as a ch- children's film from the 1980s, it stands up. Yeah. If you look at it, it hasn't, it's got actors who've gone on to have very successful careers, been in very momentous films. Um, it holds together, as you said, um, you know, in terms of the act, the act structure, the fact they start an attorney, the plot, it's very good. There's a MacGuffin, they got to get it. And if not, such and such, it all, it's predictable, it ties together. But I don't know. Yeah. They, I think, as I said in the intro, the only thing you could, uh, it's like kind of like oblivion is like, this is, it's a very derivative. When you look at the other films of the time, it's like, okay, so we take a little bit of Star Wars and take a little bit of uh, Superman, a bit of Back to the Future. Yeah. The guy back to the future, wasn't he in a band? Yeah, but he played guitar. Okay. So you're in a band, you play synthesizers and you know how the guitar was a plot device and bad if you were the synthesizer is going to work oh my god we're on a roll okay and then stormtroopers okay give it to me now give it to me now you know it's like they were just going but you could imagine the guys at canon doing that okay um okay and what else can we what else can we go for it's like conan conan the guy you know the the director yeah okay let's do that so it does i think when you look at it under a microscope but if you just step back for a minute and go how else were you gonna do it you know how else were you going to 
Otherwise, you know, if you look, you're going to have to set the whole thing in a turnier. Yeah. You're going to have to spend a fortune on special effects, on costumes, on locations. You're going to have to film everything in Hawaii or, or Alaska. You know, it's like, it would be very, very well, difficult and expensive I, I, to do. We're, we're kind of leaping ahead here, but that is... I'm, the, I'm, I'm all over the place. No, but I, <laughs> but I think that's, that's the reason why they... I think since, like, the uh, late 90s, early noughties have been trying to get another film off the ground... And the 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 stopping point is the is the cost. Is like I remember, I think uh, John Woo was involved in the in the early noughties. David Goya, the guy who did uh, wrote Blade and wrote the Batman, uh, the Nolan Batman movies, he wrote a he wrote a version, and apparently it was going to be like you know, if you think it could be, and around that time of the early noughties, it's like oh well, it's it's a, a space version of Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. And I think his script was quoted to be like $300 million picture because of the scope, the scale, the the amount of effects required. And I think that's it, like to do it properly. And that's why it's always fallen back to animation. It's like, oh, well, yeah, we can do that in animation. But doing that live action, the scope and scale is is going to be huge. But they're still it's still in production hell them trying to I think they've got somebody cast they've got a director but yeah who knows it probably will come out I think they're saying potentially in the next year or so but we'll they see get that they should get the guy who's played uh, playing Reacher in the Amazon series get, get that's, that's a great shot they've they've cast some sort of teen sort of actor I have I've no he's from some like teen soapy type thing I've never heard of him but yes it is I say it's it's still it, they've been trying to remake the film for years but i think it just keeps falling down down to budget well for me they don't need to uh but we'll get on to that later but uh, I, in I, 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 why why I, they don't need to make a film in my opinion i i do like the the fact that it drops you straight into the action and again it's very canny sort of budget setting okay we're not going to show a battle we're going to show an aftermath of a battle skeletor has already won he's taken over well, no, we're not. We're not even going to show Grayskull. We're going to show a what do you call them? It's a bit of artwork. It's a, uh, Matt Painting. Matt Painting. We're going to show Matt Painting, but it like levels in with that. But then it's a plot device. It's like scared, they first they were nowhere, and then they were everywhere. They came out. They came out of nowhere, and then we find out that's a plot device, and it becomes you know. Uh, then we get all the, the everybody's introduced very quickly. Like, but but boom. Charlie, how do we know it's a plot device? Who who would give us such exposition? It's me, Gwildar. Drink. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, Gwildor! It's like um, comedy relief. Do you have I'm any trivia on why he's called Orca? Why he's called Gwildor, not Orca? I'm not Yoda. How many times do I have to keep telling you? <laughs> um, so the the reason they've changed it from Orco to uh, again Gwildor, uh, like a new a brand new character, taking him away from being a wizard. Blah 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 blah. Yeah, it's 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 just down to budget. The fact to realize the fact that Orco was like flying around all over the the place. They said they just couldn't have a guy on wires and make it look convincing. So they've reimagined that, that comic relief. And instead of a magician, he's a, an inventor. But apparently the guy who played him is... Recognised the voice from something else. Uh, Billy, Billy, come on, Billy. Billy D. B- Williams. Not Billy <laughs> D. Williams. That's, a, that's some very convincing prosthetics. Um, Billy Barty. Apparently he um, has been in was in the industry for so long he was one of the munchkins from the wizard of oz so um apparently he's he was a, like an amazing presence on set always making jokes and telling really, stories probably yeah, yeah really lovely guy 
This one time I had to deliver a horse to the trailer of Marlon Brando. No, um, <laughs> no you could tell that he had some uh, gravitas in, in his voice. Yeah, it works. I think the reason I ask, I think you and I talked about this. They were like, it didn't seem practical. They weren't going to redo Orko. You know, they couldn't do the whole making spells and stuff. Okay, well, let's gadget synthesizes music. Let's go. Let's go. Um, yeah, well, we've got him. We've got Ava Little. Courtney Cox. I mean, so yeah, Courtney Cox, this was her her breakout role because before then, uh, and if you know your Courtney Cox trivia, yeah, she uh was was she does a really good scared face with her hair. Uh, uh, <laughs> no. She does it about four times in the zone. No! Um she was the girl from the Bruce Springsteen video. And I think when she auditioned for this film, she was still riding high off that. Oh, it's the girl from the Bruce Springsteen video. This was her first role, obviously pre-Friends, and I don't think she did much between this and Friends. She's fine in this, you know, she's, she does does the role, she's earnest, what have you. Kevin is fine. Um, Has Kevin do, been in much else for us? He seemed familiar. Uh, no, I, no I, is the short answer because I checked. No, he hasn't really been. Oh, he was. You no, know, he was in. Um, that's right. He was in Star Trek. He was in. He was one of the like. He was the equivalent of Riker in uh, Voyager. The Riker character, first, like, first, first officer, first officer, whatever, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Yes, commanding you, officer, whatever. First officer. I don't know. We're not into Star Trek. We 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 appreciate it. We watch some of it, but we're not into the whole. Don't don't. Don't ask. Yeah, don't don't get, don't get angry. We don't even uh, like Star Star Wars. We watch tons of that. As you say, Kevin's not Marty McFly, but he's he's in a band. He's hoping to get his demo out there. Courtney Cox is at the Enchantment Under the Water dance. Is it? Is, uh, what it is li- that? It is that. It is totally like borrowing like ideas from movies like Front Center. We got that um, guy. I love that bit. Where, so she's there's the the whole bit where the Skeletor sends the 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 the, the, the bounty hunters. The, no, no, no sorry, 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 mercenaries. They're mercenaries. They're not, and it's the exact same lineup from. Um, and he's Empire pacing around them. He's yeah. pacing around them. It's like we made this up on our own. I made the exact same note. It's like uh, Darth Vader stalks the bounty hunters. I'm sorry. No, no, rewrite that. I, what, I want them taken alive. You know. Yeah. Uh, no. No. In carbonate. No, I didn't say carbonate. Um, so yeah, you've got that whole bit where they're chasing Courtney Cox around the the uh, department school, store, the high school <laughs> dance, and oh, then yeah, all of a sudden they're in this dodgy back alley, and it's sort of like this is the only set we've got. It's fine, just go for it. It's like, hang on, that's supposed to be the back of the school. There's like neon lights, and it's it's so like really dry. really dodgy. Yeah, it's like, just, how did where did she go? Did she escape the school and cross to a dodgy area? No, it's the back of the school. Just go with it. But there's some there's some okayish action. I mean, there's some of the sword stuff between Blade, not that Blade, and and Dolph Lundgren is okay. You know, it's it's. it's this quite, is the point I'm going to keep coming back to. It's passable, and like you got to remember, yeah. this is a film for kids, so the parents would be like, meh, like our poor our poor father was. Um, but like. It's it's that it's like it's swashbuckling, you know. They've got, but let's talk about the one thing we haven't talked about at all. That one of the coolest thing about He Man that they've done, which nobody else has done very well, is like combining the whole Lord of Rings with freaking laser guns and technology. The fact that they are they've they've got part technology for transport. There's no horses, you know. It's like every everything's motorized, but then everything else is kind of 
old lorry stuff and and it works really well i think well that's I think it i i do like there's a lot of world building and there's a lot of lore that i say it just drops you into it and there's some stuff that it just expects you to say okay just go with it just go with it this is this is what we do this is how we deal with it they've got holograms they've got tracking devices they've got well they've obviously got portals they've got and then they've got the collar which is the something collar, out the, of the running man the, <laughs> the, the collar of truth the collar, no, George, George, no, the collar of um, oh, oh, it's true tone, it's the true tone collar, you know, like what are the pop stars using? No, no, no. <laughs> oh, yes, <laughs> it's like you know, there's uh, one of those things that certain pop auto, stars can't auto sing without it's the auto tune collar. It's like when when Kevin's talking with you it mean, on, it, it sounds like he borrowed it off Will. I am, yeah, it's like I, I can't sing without this. And Strickland, uh, so yes, uh, also, also biggest boring. movie. B- biggest movie ever for him, I would say. He's, he's most active in this. He's he's rolling around with his leather trench coat. His, he's got, his he's common, no, but the scenes he's in, he's in, he's in the he's in the majority of Act One. He's not in Act Two, and then he's in Act Three. So it's like he's in it more than he man. I bet you, if you you checked how much who's he's, got more screen time, I would argue he's probably got more screen time than or he's at least. Charlie, do you think this this shit is Russian? He's a Russian. Damn more, more, com- more commies, more commies yeah. under the bed. That was really, and you know what? I mean, because we've watched this this film so much, I'm not, I'm not even referring to my notes, but that is in them. Because at one point, man, let's talk about the uh, man at arms and Teeler. Teeler, T- yeah, Teeler, T- yeah, T- Teeler, man at arms, and um, the fact that their weaponry. Let's let's talk about the armory. So. This is an Eternia shotgun, also remarkably similar <laughs> to a, a shotgun from planet Earth. Here is an Eternia hand grenade, also remarkably similar to a World, World War, War II, II <laughs> grenade. Um, Shoot out in a music store. It's a yeah. synth- synthesizer. And you can even see, like, I mean, the cannon, whatever they've done, is that the gun, the blasters, they, or the, sorry, the laser, whatever, whatever they're called. I think they're called blasters, what well, they refer to them. Uh, I maybe there's not a line of dialogue that refers mm. to the weaponry, but they are just basically 1980s sidearms with plastic stuck on top. But oh, yeah. It works, and the laser works, and then we've got the hoverboard scene, which you were talking about, where Dolph is looking a bit scared. A he's looking bit. a bit scared because he's obviously going at extreme speed <laughs> on a very small platform. And then there is some very shaky uh, green, well, what we're talking about, green screen effects or what have you, composite. For the sign of the time, it was actually quite impressive. Um, yeah, I mean... I think this this highlights the genius of films like um, I would say of the same sort of time. Batteries not maybe not no batteries yeah. not included was late. Was that eighty eight or eighty nine? But like Around back to back to the future didn't use much of it. You know that you could see there was that electricity type stuff I, going I, on. I, am I safe in thinking this predates Back to the Future Two? Was Back to the Future Two wasn't it? It was eighty nine. Yeah, that was much later. Yeah, yeah. So well, you could say that they were Back to the Future was ripping off. He-Man, arguably. Well, you mean the time travel? No, the, the hoverboards. Oh, yeah, there's that. No, I was just talking about that electricity effect that they used for the key at the end. Oh, yeah. Was, that's... I, like seemed to be like a cheap version of what Spielberg was. No, sorry, Zemeckis does yeah. in, um, in Back to the Future. So, yeah, I mean, you could see where the technology was at this time. My point was that films like Back to the Future only used it a little bit. And this film maybe dipped their toe in yeah. just a little bit too much. We're, we're pretty much, you know, got ourselves to the epic finale. You're back in Eternia. Solid you, act three for me. You've yeah, got happy this. With it. Happy you've with got the this. You've got this amazing 
set that you apparently was a huge set took up two sound sound stages and you you got this epic battle between he-man and skeletal um who turned off the lights so turns into a music video doesn't it at one point well the reason for that is because it's not the same place they ran out of money Canon ran out of money and they basically shut down production um when they literally i think they had something like three days left of filming for for that last battle they literally got to the point where their swords cross and, and that's and that, and that was it and then kind of like no we've run out of money um you can just cut around it right and gary god was like i don't have a final battle and the producers from from kind of were like, oh, yeah, it'll be fine. Just work around it, cut around it. And he's like, I can't do that. And it ended up that I think Mattel came and uh, had like basically pulled them out of it because Canon hadn't paid. So the for the rights fee, Canon hadn't paid all the money that they'd promised to Mattel. They kept like delaying, saying, oh, yeah, the money's coming. The money's coming. And Mattel were like, Right. Don't work. You, you don't have to pay us that, that million or a million and a half that you haven't. You said you would pay us. You use that money to get the film made like those last two, those last days uh, filmed. And so, yeah, they basically f- forego the, the, the last payment and they got the f- shooting done in two nights. And Gary Goddard's like his creative thing was like, OK, when the swords clash, all the energy and light is sucked out of the room. And that's how we're going to get around this. We're going to cut all the light costs and lighting all the sets. And that's why it's, yeah, we're two guys fighting in the dark. Clang, um, clang, and clang. So, yeah, it's, it's a real shame because obviously it could have, like, even the set designers talking about how he took inspiration from, like, Errol Flynn movies when designing the set for, like, oh, yeah, we're going to have this amazing... We're going to go upstairs. This yeah. This massive... Uh, oh, an Errol Flynn sword fight in He-Man would have probably calm the cricket uh crickets uh the critics <laughs> the crickets too nobody's gonna calm the crickets they're on their own freaking agenda yeah um but the one that i do have again going back to strickland so the the happy ending of lubick's like yeah i'm i'm happy here and he's and he's got a new wife where, what what happened where, where from did he buy her did he well, buy her that i do have questions there's, it's sort of like, yeah, I'm fine. I don't need to go yeah, back to that. I'm happy here. Uh, I don't need to go back to that, that commie, that commie infested shithole, you know? It's like, we've been here five minutes and you've already bought a woman. And you've got a new wardrobe and you're happy. And yeah, I guess I guess it makes sense. So what you're basically saying, George, there wasn't enough character development of um, Lupic's character. Oh. Um, he, just wanted, in- he just wanted to turn your bride. Yeah, yeah, I was in Korea. Um, I, lo- I love it that they, they were quoting that. And then, because it was too late to say I was in Nam. Yeah. Um, and now it's Gulf War. Um, so, yeah, I think, was anybody else considered for the part of, of Lupig? I, I don't know when we would cover that. Are there any, <laughs> any are there I, any, uh, is it time for that moment, George? Is it time to let in Jeff and Celine? Uh, I, uh, yeah, go I've on. Got, oh, I've got nothing. I've got nothing. I've, I've got, I've got one, but it's, it's, it's a disappointing could have You know what? Let's... They are, they, they're, they're driving past in an Uber that they've stolen. Um, and they're just shouting out one name. So that's going to be a very quick could have, would have, should have. Okay. Your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. So do you want to introduce could have, would have, should have? So could have, would have, should have, for those who aren't aware, is where George enlightens us onto the actors um, who were considered for the roles but didn't get them in the end. And normally, it's a very long list of 
A-listers or B-listers or and sometimes directors. Um, but I'm guessing this time it was a Dolph. It was a Dolph Lundgren movie from the from the off. It was it was a Dolph Lundgren movie. I say you know it's it's quite they're quite big boots to fill for He Man and, and quite a big physique. So yeah, I think a lot of people were just like it's got to be it's got to be him. And obviously he was high profile. Astaroth. So hot right now. I mean, look at all that sweat. But uh, I'm guessing for Skeletor. I'm guessing no, it was some chat for him. No, no, no. no I couldn't I couldn't find any any casting uh, for for Skeletor. I say apart from Cannon wanted a bodybuilder over Frank uh, Frank Langella. Um, stop being sexy, skeletal. Um, <laughs> so, um, but the one I have is 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 a, a debunked coulda woulda shoulda. So, um, apparently, despite internet rumors, so Sarah Douglas, who played Ursa in Superman Two, was apparently lined up to play Evil Lynn. Right, but uh, and obviously we talked about Meg Foster playing Evil Lynn, but it was actually debunked in our friend Timon Singh's book, Born to Be Bad. Um, Sarah Douglas, he, so he interviews her all about uh, Superman 2, and he, I think he addresses that rumour, and she says, no, nope, I wasn't approached for that role. I so, do remember that, yeah. So so there you go. There's there's a coulda, woulda, shoulda, but it, it, it definitely didn't happen. Um, and is is the, the actress who plays... Um, Julie's mum, so Corny Cox's mum. This film, Christina is, Pickles. Yes, they have. So it's a not. It's not. It's it's no. No, I'm just saying it's not the same person as Evelyn because they look really similar. I know there's the whole thing that she turns into it, but I'm like, her mum looks a bit like Evelyn. So you could kind of. Oh no! Sorry. Forgive, you could forgive no. Corny Cox's character for thinking that her mum was Evelyn, and the fact that you know they kind of look a little bit. When I was younger. I thought it was like one of them had dressed up as a mum. Yeah, no, no, I, I, th- I remember thinking that as well. No, I was getting confused with the the person, the the lady that plays Shazuris, um, is, is Christina Pickles, who would go on to play Courtney Cox's mum in Friends. Ah, uh, yeah, no, okay, yeah, yeah. So now, yeah, now I remember so her saying nasty things to to poor Chandler. Okay, um so George, we've been talking a lot about why we love this film, why why it was enjoyable to go back and give it a retro ramble, but as we mentioned earlier, the critics weren't so happy, the super fans of the of the toys weren't happy with how they felt it didn't it was too disjointed from the the toy franchise. Um why didn't we get a second one? I mean, how this didn't perform as well as you might have expected given the the brand recognition. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's uh, it's an interesting point because I, I talked about earlier that like the 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 huge success of the toys, you know, from from 1982, 83, uh, 83 when the you know the filmation cartoon came out, and in you know, it, it kept growing and growing, and they made four hundred million in nineteen eighty six. However, it took the toys took the profits took a massive dive down to seven million. In 1987, that's quite a drop. Um, wow! And they're blaming and, the film, obviously. Well, well like- <laughs> no, no. This was this, well. This is before uh, before the film came out, and I think that this is what contributes to why the film wasn't a huge success, or one of the reasons they weren't uh, riding the wave. No, and that's it. It, it, it just the the bubble had burst on the the the, the He Man toy phase. Um, they they admitted that they were overextending lines. They were overproducing stock. 
to the point that like people like Toys R Us were were sending shiploads of, of stock back saying, well, no one's buying these toys because they'd extended the range so much. You couldn't actually get like characters like He-Man and Skeletor anymore because they were like, oh, yeah, you can get Snake Man and Waterface um, and all that jazz. Um, and yeah, so I was, the bubble burst. And so by the time the, the film came out, the no one was interested in He-Man anymore, apart from yeah, maybe the the hardcore fans who who took like umbrage. Us. <laughs> you like us, who took issue with the fact that it wasn't a faithful recreation. But the I think the other reason why it wasn't a financial success, which it should have done, because as we've talked about, it's not a terrible film. Yes, you know, I think for Canon Films output, it's one of their you know, it looks great. The production values are great. Um, but I think because Canon were, the the, the engine was, uh, there was very little fuel left in, in the engine. There was very few pennies left in the bank. They put hardly any money into marketing. And I think it was left to Mattel to pick up um, the marketing bill. So that's why it probably wasn't as much awareness. And I think it fell down to distribution as well. It wasn't playing in enough cinemas or it was only playing the sort of the matinee showings in, in America. So only like small kids were going to, it wasn't even getting that, you know, teenage audience. Um, so yeah, there just wasn't enough money to promote it essentially. Um, and a dwindling to- toy base, you know, so it's, they didn't, strike while the iron's hot. And it might have been a completely different story if they'd made it in 1984, 1985. But yeah, by 1987, that ship had, you know, truly sailed and they were probably on to Transformers. And oh, I don't think Turtle Mania had started yet. I think that was more like 88, 89. Yeah, that was uh, a bit later. No, no, but I mean, I just remember, I mean, no, what I mean, just looking at this, it just sounds like Cannon imploded, and and it's a shame because I, I don't know why. Like you used the the term glossy. This isn't this isn't a bad film. It's a good action film, but it fails in the number one area of replicating the franchise in live action. Okay, okay. So it does it does some parts of that well. Um, like we talked about how cool the Grey Skull thing is and how it's bookends the film beginning mm. and and I like the world building in it but it's a good this is a this is a children's film but you could see them saying yeah but the fans were coming expecting this they wanted it to be just like the cartoon and you've gone you've gone somewhere else you kind of homage it yeah. but it's you know it's 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 weird to think but there was a point where they really I mean there, there was talk of a sequel wasn't there they they did they did believe in the project from the beginning yeah, as you say, you know, uh, we're, uh, we'll you know go on to we'll chat about that in suspicious uh, spin-offs and sequels. Um, so yes, there definitely was the appetite for a sequel, despite the the dwindling interest in the uh, in the stories in the in the toys. Well, yeah, I mean, it just seems like as you say, the ship had sailed that they they missed they missed their chance. You know, the mm. the time to do. I mean, if you're going to do, you either do it while things are riding high, or like Transformers thirty years later. <laughs> you know, you, you, yeah. you wait, you wait yeah. till those kids are adults. <laughs> uh, nostalgia, baby, nostalgia. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I think that's it. I think that's all we need to say uh, on on that matter. Okay, well, um, are there any suspicious spin-offs? I mean, should we first start off with um, the more recent Netflix series? Should we cover that off slightly? Or because we're not well, going to cover I, that in an episode. I, I'm, 
I'm going to leave that to you because I've only seen one episode. So this is Masters of the Universe Revelations, and apparently it's been very controversial. So it's by Kevin Smith. And not to be not to be in any way linked with our own retro ramble revelations, which is where George and I cover films that missed us uh, in, during the eighties on our on our Patreon. No, so um, yeah, no revelations. As you know, you've you've heard me talk about what I was the target audience. Uh, I even have grown affection for this film over the years because of that initial, and I feel like it's lovely dovetailed with. Um, Masters of the Universe. It's 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 crazy where it goes. It gives you more than you'd ever imagine. It will builds in a way that you didn't think was possible. Um, I'm I'm happy with it in in terms of um, it's a very everyone knows the criticism that's leveled at it, and I don't want to spoil it for anyone. I think you need to go and see it. You yeah. also go and go and see it. Watch it on Netflix when you can. It's great. It's it's some of the. It's like it took me back to watching He Man as a kid. That's the best way I can say it. Unfortunately, it's like a man. You liked He Man when you were a kid. Well, imagine that was made in 2020. It's that you know. Yeah. So it's like, do you did you know all the things you liked about He Man? Well, they've slightly been updated by you know 35 yeah. 40 years so yeah but you, you you've got to you've got to go with it kevin smith's a safe pair of hands he's got comedy and the my last word on my mark hamill is freaking playing skeletal and that alone and just like in this film he's getting a lot of screen time that alone is worthy of it if nothing else but all of the supporting characters are brilliantly done the world building is very interesting it's batshit crazy where it goes it expands the universe so it's like if you are a real fan and I think maybe the real fans hate where it's gone with it. But like, you've got to change, man. We've got to grow. Yeah, it, we, 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 we've got to do different stuff. And for me, I was personally, by the end of it, sold on it. So yeah, I, I liked it for, because I haven't enjoyed, for me, it's, it's like the nostalgia. It's like nostalgia, Kevin Smith, plus Mark Hamill, sold. Yeah. So I, I, I need to get back into it. I mean, I think it's, it's, uh, I, I have to, uh, just jump it's back. Very, very post pub, by the way, like a few, few beers come back from the pub, stick that on. It's brilliant. Oh, okay. It's just like, yeah, monologuing by <laughs> Mark Hamill. It's like, just, just give me more. Just give me more. Yeah. Um, well, I actually tried to, as this was the first film, you know, Master of the Universe was the first film I saw at the cinema. I tried to introduce it to to my seven year old daughter, and she was not interested. <laughs> I mean, many sweaty men. I mean, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe you know, my nephews would have been more interested, and maybe your son would have would have lapped it up. I don't know. You know, there's lots more pew pew pew. Um, but yeah, all I was having none of it. So shall we get into other suspicious spin-offs? Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of talk about uh I mean, what what other film could have been a spin-off from this? It could I mean, were were things like sets or script or was was anything reused? This was canon in the dark years. So um so yeah, apparently at the uh Cannes Festival in 1987, Manahan Golan announced he was like one of the the, the partners, the the co-owners of uh, of Canon. Announced Dolph Lundgren was set to reprise his role as He-Man, and he'd already signed on for two more movies. Um, however, wow. uh, Lundgren refused to reprise his role uh, when he was because he was filming Red Scorpion at the time, uh, and went on record in 1989 saying he felt playing He-Man was his lowest point as an actor. So he quickly turned down any chance of appearing in a sequel. 
However, a Masters of the Universe sequel was actually written in cast. So those who uh, you know, love a, a Marvel post-credits thing. There is a post-credits teaser at the end of this film with Skeletor crawling out of the pit saying, I'm back. <laughs> um, so yes, they, there was a sequel written. I cast. missed that. I missed that and probably was dying for the toilet when I was like seven years old, something and watched it the first time. So I didn't, I, I don't, that, that's new to me, listeners. So yeah, they, they, there you go. They, they had teased it. There was a director, Albert Pyun, um, proposed to the producers at Canon, uh, Menahem Golan and Urim Globus, that he would make a sequel to Masters of the Universe. And at the time, Canon, as I say, were, you know, on a, on a roll and they had bought the rights as well as the rights to Superman. They had the rights to Spider-Man. Well, well what time. year was this? What year was this? This, this, this is late 80s. So, wow, a well, late is- 80s Spider-Man film. Wow. So yeah, um, this was like I mean, Spider-Man's gone through massive production. Not now. enough. We need more Spider-Man. <laughs> no, no. But until from the like eighties to the nineties, it went through massive production hell. And there's a great uh, podcast series. Um, check it out. It's called uh, The Best Movies Never Made, and they do like a five episode arc all about the unmade Spider-Man films. And I think at least one, if not two of the episodes, cover the Canon films adaptations. And I think when Canon got their hands on it, I think it was uh, uh, Menahem uh, Golan uh, thought it was Spider-Man was a horror movie. <laughs> it was just like... Oh, really? Just, it was, cause it he's was a man that dark. With, yeah, no, but it's like, just on the title alone, he's a man, but he's also a spider and he's got eight arms. And it's just like, no, he's actually a comic book character. Um, so yeah, they had the rights to Spider-Man. Um, so they were like, well... Why don't we, you know, we'll make a Master Universe 2, we'll make Spider-Man, we'll reuse, I don't know how, we'll film them back to back in North Carolina um, at uh, the the De Laurentiis uh, studio uh, in North Carolina. So sets for the two movies were built, costumes were made, and films, had, both films had been cast, and the budget was set. For, for Masters of the Universe Part 2 was set for four and a half million. Um, Mattel gave their approval to many of the characters that would appear in the sequel and they'd recast um, He-Man was um, to be played by the surfer Laird Hamilton, uh, apparently. Uh, Who? I don't know. I've never n- n- never seen him in anything. So uh, apparently uh, Albert Pyun's uh, script treatment was Skeletor go back to Earth after being defeated by falling into the pit in the finale of the first movie. Skeletor would then disguise himself as an evil industrialist known as Aaron Dark, who destroyed most of the world before He-Man can arrive on Earth to stop him. And Master Universe Part 2 would end with Earth devastated as a post-nuclear world. Um, but as a result, as a canon, we're going through some tough financial times. And whilst they had films from Van Damme and Chuck Norris and, and Charles Bronson, the various, I think they were doing the, the various Death Wish movies sort of to keep them afloat, they basically ran out of money and uh, had to scrap both films and they would ultimately be turned into the Jean-Claude Van Damme movie Cyborg. So those sets and costumes for Master Universe 2 and the aborted Spider-Man film would then turn into something completely different. Um, Funny story. George and I have recently watched Cyborg and it's, it's an interesting movie. Would you say not brother? 
Absolutely. So yes, to a bit uh, of a revelation, one might say. Yes. So speaking of revelations, on our Patreon channel, we have reviewed the movie Cyborg with Van Damme because we ashamedly have never seen it before. So it is can't believe, can't believe this, 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 this gem mm. passed us by. So yes, we have finally got around to watching it uh, to tie in perfectly with Masters of the Universe. So if you are interested in hearing more about Cyborg and our thoughts on that film, you know, head over to our Patreon channel, Retro Ramble on Patreon.com. Where we will be spending 90 seconds talking about the really long and wordy script of that film. No, but, no, but check the- it out. Check it out. It's, it, it is, I think, George, I think it'll be a short episode, but I think there will be um, some extremities visited. So it's not the typical revelations. It's maybe not your... Um, like the warriors and what else have we done on and road yeah so so we have there, there are other revelations we've done roadhouse we've done the warriors we've done some uh recent you know the cinema releases so we've done top gun maverick we've done uh spider-man no way home matrix uh whatever they called that 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 matrix film that and we've done Christmas. we've done if you're into your bond films we've done some stuff on bond for no time to die and we're currently doing some stuff to celebrate 60 years of bond so plenty there's of more comments. there's more more stuff coming to patreon are there any final thoughts oh, okay i think you might have i think you've danced around the subject a little bit in this uh, apologies if you have covered this but have we got more masters of the universe to come i mean i'm not talking about the netflix show or maybe that's my question has the success of the netflix show maybe kip put you know a future film in the coffin you know is, no, I, we say, another- I say i say there is there is currently one in production there has been some random that has been cast i don't even know who the direct like director oh, this is the dreamboat high school guy you're talking about yeah. okay so it's, it's, it's not gonna be a big big promotion then yeah, I d- it's, it's nothing right now. It's nothing right now. Okay, it's 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 an odd one. So there's a there's a teaser poster on IMDb uh, that says the power returns March 2021. That didn't happen. Okay, uh, we may uh, have missed the mark. Uh, so yes, it's starring Kyle Allen. I have no idea who Kyle Allen is. Aaron Nee and Adam Nee are the directors. Nee. So, yeah, I'm really, I haven't really got high hopes for that. Okay. <laughs> oh, I've just seen in trivia, uh, Dolph Lundgren wanted Chris Hemsworth to play He-Man, but Hemsworth turned down the role due to similarities with Thor. This brings me on to my final point, comparing Masters of the Universe 1987 to the first Thor movie. He's a blonde, muscly man with... With a sword, sorry, with, hammer. That gets sent to Earth... He, from Bingley Bong, from Bingley Bong Land, from Space Land, Magic Space Land, loses his powers, has to help out with some plucky Earth people. Then evil people come to the small town, start wrecking it. He fires up. Does it have like three at, back on his home planet? Yeah. Okay. So, well, I think. Uh, well, yeah. So, you, I think you, it's something about those seven types of story that we keep coming back to. So yeah, it is a so so basically Thor. But I'm is I think, a remake I, of Masters of the Universe. You heard it first, people. I'm putting it out there, even if maybe the original he, uh, Masters of the Universe might have ripped off the Thor comics. But let's not get into that. Let's let's not go that far. Okay, nothing else for me to add on this. I hope you've enjoyed this. This has just been a freshly retro ramble 
you know, just just one of those usual retro rambles that we fire out uh, a film that was close to George and I's hearts uh, for, for, for many a reason. Can we reveal uh, what retro ramble we'll be covering next? But, you know, people, we, we're, we're going to some interesting places after covering a late 80s film. You know, George and I are in our groove now. So after we do a film from 87, we're likely to go back to early 80s or the wonderful 90s. Beautiful 90s. Hang on, just just, just bear with me, Sailor. I was going to put it out to the audience and say, if they want to let us know in between now and George confirming, uh, if there's anything. Well, uh, I, do, I do have down on my list Broken Arrow. Tra- Travolta, Slater, John Woo. Denver, <laughs> yeah, and multiple exploding helicopters. So lots of nukes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, we should, get, we, we, we should get Dad on for that because you went to see that cinema with Dad, didn't you? Yeah, I conned Dad into take me to see that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a good, a good thriller. It's a bit like Clear and Present Danger. Um, that'll do. So, yeah, so we've got Broken Arrow, some '90s fun in, in the mix, okay. uh, unless, and some doves, no doubt, some doves. It's unless Joel Charlie and I hear any different, but yeah, we might do that. There's, there's going to be some doves. There's going to be some doves. There's going to be some slow-mo. Looking forward to it. Okay, so for this episode, uh, this has been a Retro Ramble production. I've been Charlie McGee. I've been George McGee. And we'll see you on the next one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Skeletor to King Randor. Skeletor to King Randor. Come in, you royal boob.